A lot of people ask me how they can help wildlife. And I think what they expect me to say is something like they can volunteer to help out orphaned rhinos or elephants or donate to conservation organizations, which you can do. But actually, some of the best ways that you can help wildlife is just by changing your own behaviors. And for some things, this doesn't even require behavior change. You just need to change where you purchase something or the types of products that you buy. That actually has a huge impact on wildlife. Today, we're going to talk about something we do every single day, eat. Our diet impacts wildlife tremendously. And today I'm going to talk about one specific facet of it. I'm sure I'll have more episodes out there about diet because there's a lot of different dietary changes that you can make to help wildlife directly and also indirectly by impacts on climate change. So what is this thing, the most important thing that you can do today? I'll tell you next up on the Fancy Scientist podcast. Hi, I'm Dr. Stephanie Shuttler, a wildlife biologist who's learned throughout her career studying animals that science alone cannot save species. We need you. In the Fancy Scientist podcast, you'll learn about fun animals, conservation tips, and science advice, all while breaking stereotypes about what a scientist looks like. Let's get started. I thought today would be a great time to talk about this topic, given what's going on in the news. COVID-19 has hit at least 215 meatpacking plants in the United States. And as a result of this, grocery stores have been running short of meat, Wendy's made the news because one out of five Wendy's food chain restaurants were out of beef, and restaurants are now starting to charge more for meat. If you can't figure out what I'm talking about, our consumption of meat. Now, it's kind of obvious that meat is an animal issue because by far most of the meat that we're eating is domesticated animals like cows, pigs, sheep, chicken, etc. But we don't really think about how it relates to wildlife and it actually has a big impact on wildlife. So today I'm going to talk about everything meat and encourage you to rethink the types of meat that you eat and how much meat you eat before you go headed for the hills thinking I'm going to try to convert you to be a vegetarian or a vegan. I am not. I would like you to keep an open mind and that really progress is better than perfection. So if you can make some little improvements in your diet that are in the right direction, that are towards reducing the impacts of climate change that are more beneficial with wildlife, then that is great. That is what I want to accomplish, some little changes. And when we have a lot of people making changes, then we start to see some impact. Okay, so let's talk about meat. First, before we talk about the links between meat and wildlife and climate, I want to explain that for most of this podcast, I'm going to be talking about CAFO meat or factory farmed meat. So CAFO, C-A-F-O, is a 
concentrated animal feeding operation. Lots of these animals don't get a chance to go outside. This is certainly true for chickens. And this is the worst type of meat that you can buy both for you and for the planet. And if you go to my blog, I have a blog post up on this, and you can see what some of those CAFOs look like. By far, most of the conventional meat that we buy comes from CAFOs. So if you go to a fast food place, a regular grocery store, a restaurant, you're going to get meat from factory farmed animals. On the other end of the spectrum... You have grass-fed, pasture-fed, and even best grass-finished meat. And for this meat, animals live their entire and most of their lives out in pasture. For grass-finished, it is their whole entire lives. And this is what we typically think of when we think about farms or family farms. We think about these green pastures. We think about chickens scratching the earth, eating insects. We think of cows grazing. These are really the farms that we envision or we envisioned when we were little kids thinking about farms. This is the best meat for you nutrition-wise and the planet, but it is the most expensive meat. And it also doesn't come without any consequences, as you'll find out in this episode. And it also doesn't come without... And there's a lot of words to describe meat that fall in between those standards or mean different things. So some of those words are organic, cage-free, free-range, antibiotic-free, hormone-free. I'm not going to get into specifics about what all of those different things mean, but I just want to address that there's a lot of different options out there for where you can buy your meat or what type of meat you can buy. I want to specifically address that when I'm talking about meat in this podcast, I am only focused on domesticated animals raised for food. So I will talk about wild meat a little bit at the end, but for purposes of this podcast, we're talking about livestock, chickens, turkey, etc. And we're excluding fish and seafood because fish and seafood also have a big impact on the planet or the, the ones that we eat. And I want to do a whole separate episode about that. I grew up in Buffalo, New York. We really tend to love meat. I actually became a vegetarian when I was 12 years old initially because I found some literature from animal rights groups. I actually found a color book. And I was just shocked. I didn't know that that's where my meat came from. I didn't know that that's how the cows were raised, how the chickens were raised. And I have always loved animals, as I'm sure you can tell. So I felt really bad for the animals. And I just couldn't bear to eat them anymore. So at 12 years old, I became a vegetarian. And I remember going to school and I don't know why I thought this, but for some reason, I thought it would be like a really cool thing to announce that I was a vegetarian. Like people would see me as different and like opinionated and cool. And no, it was the total opposite. I got made fun of really bad for a lot of my life. Even even in my adult life, I've had adults tease me for being a vegetarian. Later on in life, though, because I have some health issues, I had to go back to eating meat temporarily. And so I've had the experience of both being a vegetarian and a meat eater for some time now. And I can tell you from experience that you can definitely reduce your amount. You can you can wean yourself off. And we're going to talk about how we can do that. 
But first, let's get into why meat is so bad. This is a show where I like to talk about wildlife and animals and conservation. So why are we talking about meat? Climate change, we, t- we tend to think about as more of like an energy issue, but climate change impacts every single species on Earth from, from little to big. There is no escaping climate change. And the problem with climate change is that it is human caused and it is changing way too fast for most species to adapt. Therefore, if we keep going on this trajectory, which Honestly, we will. We're really past the point where we can reverse the effects. We're trying to at least contain the losses at this point. Some species will probably go to extinct from climate change. But I don't want to make this doom and gloom. There's a lot of cool science trying to help species out. So so one group of animals, yes, animals, not plants, that is really susceptible to the effects of climate change is our coral. Because coral live within this strict temperature range. And as the ocean water increases, they can die. So I know there's some really cool science going on about testing different corals and thinking about some different ways to help corals thrive during climate change. But across the globe, there are are species that are really well adapted to that certain type of habitat they live in. And it's going to be affected by the Earth's temperature and or changes in the climate, such as precipitation. Even if that animal is not impacted, it is probably likely going to be impacted by the animals that it eats. I came across a study recently about, I don't remember which bird species, but they didn't raise as many successful young because of a decreased insect population. And the study mentioned that even though people were supplementing the bird's diet with bird seed, it was a matter of quality versus quantity, and they still weren't getting those quality nutrients that they normally get from insects in the bird seed. If you love animals, you really have to pay attention to climate change. I think most people feel like they can't really do anything when it comes to climate change because a lot of the biggest impacts are from energy, such as the coal energy. But I still think we should be doing everything that we can to reduce all of our impacts. And you do have a lot of power. The number one thing you should do is vote. Make sure you vote this November. It is so, so important. But one of the top things that you can do is actually switch to a plant-based diet. There was a study out a couple of years ago that talked about the biggest individual impacts that you can have, and switching to a plant-based diet was one of those major impacts, along with reducing the number of flights that you have and living car-free. Can you guess what the number one impact was? It's something that we really don't talk about that much, and it's kind of taboo to talk about. But it is having one fewer kid. And there's a really great Bill Nye uh, podcast on the philosophy of having kids during climate change. Okay. Anyways, we're talking about meat today. So let's get back to the topic. Switching to a plant-based diet is one of the biggest things that you can do. For changing your diet, you really want to target beef as the thing to eliminate or reduce in terms of mitigating the effects of climate change. You've probably heard about cow farts. 
It's actually their burps that release greenhouse gases. So the cows themselves are producing greenhouse gases. But if you think about just everything that goes into making meat, you have to grow the plants that um, the animals eat. You have to transport them. Most of these animals live on the CAFOs that I was talking about. So these are these concentrated feedlots, and the food, which is often corn and soy, has to be brought in. Rather than raising food for cattle to eat, it's just much more efficient for us to raise food for us to eat. And we're not going to eat the same stuff that the cattle eat, but it could be used for other food that we eat. That's the idea behind it. One study found it looked at over close to 40,000 farms and that 80% of farmland is used for livestock, but it only results in 18% of total calories and 37% of protein. If we can better use this land to grow food more efficiently, this will definitely reduce the impacts of climate change. And then there's just like a whole lot of additional transportation impacts, such as moving the cattle to the slaughterhouse, reducing waste from the facilities. Deforestation is also a really big threat to wildlife, honestly, probably the biggest threat across the planet, habitat loss from deforestation. And deforestation affects wildlife negatively in a couple of ways. When you clear land for cattle farms, you are affecting wildlife from a climate perspective and from their habitat perspective. Trees, especially older trees, hold a lot of carbon. They can suck in a lot of carbon. They are really helpful in reducing the amount of carbon in the atmosphere. These are called carbon sinks because they take in a lot of the carbon dioxide. But when the trees are cut, as in rainforest, old growth forest, a lot of this carbon is released and it also removes this sink source. It removes this this area as a sink to suck up carbon. So it makes it worse for us, essentially, to be able to handle climate change. Clearing land for cattle affects the wildlife as well because they lose their habitat livestock is one of the biggest threats to the Amazon and more and more the Amazon is becoming fragmented. Now that being said, there is a lot of variation when it comes to meat, which is why I pointed out the different types to begin with. In some areas of the world, it actually may be more compatible for wildlife to to raise cattle. I did a study abroad program in Kenya, and that was a huge topic for our semester. Traditionally, the area that we were in, Kenya, was used by the Maasai for thousands of years, and cattle and wildlife coexisted across that land. And when done right, cattle can actually benefit land because their poop can add nutrients back into the soil. So they were living alongside wildlife very compatibly for years and years. And then when agriculture moved in, the soils are actually not the best for agriculture. They have to they have to use a lot of pesticides and fertilizers to get anything to grow. For that area, it actually makes more sense and is more compatible for wildlife to, to have cattle herds there. 
Now, this meat argument is not just so simple as everyone becoming a vegetarian. There are a lot of local nuances. In general, it's much better to buy local meat from local farmers. But beef and other animals, even if they are sustainable, they don't come without climate change consequences. They do still have a large carbon footprint. To give you some comparisons, beef produced from cattle raised on deforested land has 12 times the greenhouse gases and uses 50 times more land than beef raised on pastures. But when you compare the the pasture-raised beef, even the most sustainably raised beef, it still has six times more greenhouse gases and uses 36 times more land than plants. There's a lot of things to consider with meat, and there's there's no just one good solution, but I believe that we all should be moving towards reducing our meat consumption or purchasing meat from these better local sources. Honestly, what we eat has such a big impact on the planet. I can't wait for the day when we can just take a pill and I don't have to think about what I eat because I hate making decisions. It's like... There's just so many things that you need to think about. Does it come in plastic? The carbon footprint? How much water it uses? Is it organic or not? So many different things to consider. Moving on. Another reason why you want to switch towards local sustainable meat if you are going to eat meat is because of the pollution effects of these concentrated animal feeding operations. A couple of years ago, there was this image of North Carolina's coast that went viral. And if you go to the blog post on this, you can see the image. It's featuring the coast of North Carolina. And the waters are blue in the ocean. But if you look inland, there's these like rust-colored um, waters forming in the river and they're spilling out into the ocean. It gets like a dark red color. It almost looks like if you take drops of blood and like put it in water, you know how it like disperses like that. Side note, I was actually on the Science Channel's What on Earth. If you don't watch What on Earth, you should. It's an awesome show. And I am one of the the commentators. It's super fun to do. But it's all about looking at satellite images from Earth that seem crazy and strange and then going through different theories as to what caused these images to appear that way and then eventually telling you the truth behind it. Sometimes scientists still don't even know. But back to this one. This one went viral after Hurricane Florence. And the whole area of eastern North Carolina flooded. And you were seeing in that rust color, organic material, debris, but a lot of it was hog waste. Eastern North Carolina has a huge number of pig farms. It's estimated there are 10 million pigs in the state of North Carolina. I think it's number two for hogs in the country. And these pigs are all in a really small area. You know, they're eating, they're pooping. And the waste is concentrated into these lagoons. What happened in Hurricanes Florence is that the lagoons breached and they spilled all over into the landscape and then eventually make their way down to the ocean. 
This, therefore, affects all the animals living in eastern North Carolina and then impacts marine life as well. I'm looking at this image and... I mean, there's huge areas affected on the coastline. It has to affect uh, fish. I know we get dolphins on the coast of North Carolina. I've seen them there before on the beach. It's It was so cool. It was so much fun. Sharks, all that fun stuff. Another reason why we really should rethink meat is because of the impact that these CAFOs have on people. Speaking of the hog industry in North Carolina, it has actually been a huge issue here for years where the local communities have been having health effects, adverse health effects that they think are caused by these hog farms. The air is so polluted on some days that they can't even go outside. It just smells horribly. And they have tried to sue the large scale hog industries. I also keep my eye on legislation that's going on in North Carolina, and repeatedly they have tried to to fix this problem, to make it better, to increase this, the animal welfare standards for the hogs, but also result in less waste. And constantly the state legislature sides with the industry over the local community. This story of hog farming in North Carolina is really interesting from a citizen science perspective. For my postdoc, I did citizen science research. And in this research, this is where local people without any scientific training, um, just regular people, in my case, it was kids, they participate in real scientific research. And a lot of citizen science actually comes out of environmental justice or environmental injustices that are going on. In the case of North Carolina, people were getting sick and no one was really believing them. And they started collecting data, creating their own scientific research studies to try to prove that these industries were really impacting them. If you get Karen Cooper's book on citizen science, it's in the blog post. It's a really great book. I, I really love it. And I've actually worked with Karen. She was at the North Carolina Museum of Natural Sciences where I was. And uh, she's a professor at NC State. It's a great book. I highly recommend it. And although it's horrible what's going on to the local community there, it's really amazing that they were able to empower themselves using citizen science. There's analogous stories out there as well with the Flint, Michigan water situation. So CAFOs not only are horrible by animal welfare standards, I'm not even going to go into that too deeply because I really want to focus this podcast on wildlife and conservation, but it is really awful living for these animals, horrible, horrible living for these animals. But it also affects the health of people and all of the living organisms in the environment, plants, fungi, animals, and all. I also really think that it's a great time, the perfect time, that we should be talking about factory farms because factory farms really increase our chances of pandemics. A lot of people... For COVID, a lot of people have been focusing on bats, and certainly diseases can come from wild animals, but they're likely to 
end up with us or end up getting close to us because of their ability to harbor within domestic animals. And really what causes these diseases to be able to spread so fast is these really close living environments like confined animal feeding operations. If you compare this to a traditional farm or an idealistic farm, the animals aren't like that. And your chances of diseases mutating and spreading are are reduced. So I really hope that our, that with COVID-19, we really have learned a lesson from at least the wet markets. And I really ask us to examine the proximity and the similarities between wet markets and what we're doing with meat right now, even though it's livestock and domestic animals. And as you know from previous outbreaks, that a lot of these diseases do come from domestic animals like bird flu. Another thing related to workers that deserves its own story is about the human rights issue of this. These meatpacking plants are really all about speed. And this one estimate, I think I read that this worker had to to pack, I think it was like 50 chickens in a minute. It was crazy. So they're constantly working as fast as they can. They aren't given many breaks. I've heard of people wearing diapers on the line because they can't hold their bathroom long enough for their breaks. People are overworked. Because it's going so fast, they're really prone to injuries. And I have links to posts that talk about these, this human rights aspect for the workers as well and why it's a good idea to no longer support CAFOs for this reason. Okay. <clears throat> Maybe I convinced you that you should give up meat and therefore become a vegetarian. Or even better for the planet, give up meat and dairy and eggs being a vegan. I actually have a link to a figure in the blog post. And although I didn't talk about dairy yet, the figure shows the results for greenhouse gases per 100 grams of protein. The very top of the list is beef. Number two is farmed crustaceans, actually. So this must be shrimp farming, which I know is bad for the environment in other ways, but it looks like it emits high amounts of greenhouse gases too. Lamb and mutton... And then number four is dairy beef, but dairy herds, so milk. Number five is cheese. I don't know why they separate these. And then after that is other meat products, so pig, poultry, farmed fish, and eggs. If you are a vegetarian, but you are eating a lot of dairy products, a lot of cheese, honestly, your impact could be just as bad as beef, depending on what else you're eating. Okay, so let's talk about giving up meat completely. You can do it in two different ways. You can go cold turkey, pun intended, uh, or you can slowly wean off of it. Cold turkey is when I did when I first became a vegetarian when I was 12. Once I make my mind up on something, I am usually really good at sticking to it. Some people like this method because it forces their body to adjust. And some people don't do well with little amounts of things every day. I tend to be like this with sugar. When I 
give up sugar, I stopped craving it. And if I were to eat little amounts of like cake or candies every single day, I'd go out of control and I would have to eat sugar again. So it's way easier for me to just eat low sugar or sugar free rather than eat little bits. So maybe if you are becoming a vegetarian, using the slow approach won't work because you won't ever wean yourself off. The other cool thing or the other interesting thing is about, about our diets is when we change them rapidly, it forces your your body to adjust and your microbiome. And I find that when you eat differently, you crave different foods. A lot of people don't like vegetables, but trust me, when you start eating large quantities of them, I love vegetables. You will crave them. I know that's weird, but it's true. I did have issues when I went cold turkey at first. I did relapse a couple of times. I remember being at my sister's house and sneak eating meat, but overall it was pretty good, so don't be too hard on yourself. I think one of the biggest reasons why people don't like vegetarian food or vegan food is because they often have bad experiences with it. I became vegetarian in Buffalo, New York in the 1990s, and Buffalo is a very meat and potato town. Even to this day, they don't have a lot of great vegetarian and vegan options. When I would go out to eat, really the only options were a mushroom sandwich, like a portobello sandwich or uh, pasta primavera. And usually they're not that great either. So I think this is why a lot of people are not excited about becoming vegan or vegetarian. But when you know how to cook well, and it's not even necessarily hard cooking, it is just having great recipes, then you can make some really amazing vegetarian and vegan meals. In the blog post, I have two of my favorites. One is the Moosewood Cookbook. That's a classic. I love that one. And another one's a vegan one, Veganomicon. Now, you can also start slowly phasing out meat in your diet. And actually, that is what I'm doing right now. So you can join me. The reason why I started eating meat again is I kind of experimented a couple of years ago when I was having my health problems and a doctor finally convinced me to eat meat because it's really the one thing I hadn't tried, but it didn't help me at all. I thought it was going to make me feel like so much better and I hardly noticed. I didn't actually I didn't notice any difference. So then I went back to being more vegan, vegetarian again. And now I am eating meat because I'm on a special diet called the uh, autoimmune protocol diet. I went on this diet because I suffer from chronic fatigue. It was getting really bad. I sleep eight to nine hours a night and I would still have to take naps during the afternoon, like one to three hour naps. It actually got to the point where I was having a really difficult time going to work every day and I started working from home a lot because I just would get so tired and the fatigue would set in and I just felt like, I literally felt like there were like weights, heavy weights dragging on my body that just made me feel like I had to sleep. Long story short, I talked to one of my doctors and they thought I had multiple sclerosis. I got tested for it, and I don't have it. But in the meantime, I reached out to one of my friends from high school who does have it, and she recommended that I try the autoimmune protocol diet. This diet is an elimination diet. You basically 
get rid of all foods that are potentially triggering for people, the most common foods that trigger reactions in people. And you kind of like clear your system for 30 days and then you slowly add them back in. I have an autoimmune disorder. I have a hypothyroid, which is an underactive thyroid. And I knew about the AIP diet for a long time, but I never wanted to do it because it is such a major life overhaul. It's honestly really hard to go out to eat. You obviously can't drink. And not that I'm a big drinker, but I really like drinking when I go out with my friends and I like going out to dinner with them. So you not only have to do that for the 30 days, but then as you're slowly adding food back in, you still can't eat everything. So it's really like months and months where you're on this restrictive diet. COVID-19 hit and we were all staying home. So I decided it was the perfect time to do the AIP diet. Since around March, yes, in mid-March, I started doing it. I've been doing AIP, which therefore requires me to eat meat. You can't eat any kind of grain, nightshade vegetables, eggs, any kind of processed food, beans, nuts. Um, I'm sure there's more, but you can't eat that stuff. So really all I can eat is meat, non-nightshade vegetables, fruits, and um, seafood. Now, I finally got to the point where I'm adding stuff back into my diet. I actually think the culprit is coffee, which I am so disappointed by, but this diet has really changed my life. I got all my energy back, and I'm not drinking coffee anymore, which I hate, but I love having this energy. Now I'm at the point where I'm adding my vegan foods back in. I'm going to be adding beans soon, but I've already added pea protein. I eat this vegan protein shake. I love it. It's a great source of protein. And I am doing really well on that again. If you want to be like me, you can slowly wean off meat and gradually decrease it in your diet. You can even do fun little themes like meatless Mondays. This is a challenge where you go one whole day without eating meat. It became popular several years ago, maybe like actually maybe more like a decade ago. Americans eat the most meat. Americans are the country that eat most meat. So in other countries around the world, going without meat is not a big deal or eating less meat is not a big deal. So see if you can go one day. Ideally, you should shoot for something like one meal a day. This is a program that James Cameron's wife founded where she believes that small shifts can lead to big changes. If you're doing this, breakfast is a really easy one to do. You can get my vegan protein shake. I love it. I use the the Vega brand, and they're a certified B company, which means that they put people and the environment along with profits. Other vegetarian vegan foods can be cereal with non-dairy milk, waffles, fruit, toast, eggs is animal product, but it's still vegetarian. You can reduce the amount of meat in your meals. So if you're eating something like a BLT, try reducing the amount of bacon in your sandwich and maybe adding more tomatoes in it or fun things like avocados. You can use meat substitutes. This is what I love to do. And Beyond Meat is 
amazing. I love it. Beyond Meat doesn't make me miss meat at all. In fact, I like the ground beef better than real ground beef. And this is a pea protein. I like the sausages and the ground beef the best. I don't love the the burger patties. I think the ground beef is is better tasting. You can also use tofu, which has been used for a long time. I love tofu. And a lot of people think that tofu is super boring, but I view tofu as kind of like white fish or chicken breast. I mean, those foods are kind of boring. But when you season them and add sauces and things like that, then they become flavorful. Tofu is definitely like that. Although I personally like it just like sauteed in a pan or browned and or even plain sometimes I like to eat it. I'm a weirdo though. I'll eat if it wasn't for my health issues and for environmental consequences and animal welfare, I would eat anything. I really would. <laughs> there are other alternative meat sources out there too. I have a thyroid issue so I can't eat a lot of soy. I can't eat uh, gluten. So some of those are not available to me, but there are tons of sources out there. I used to eat the corn products a lot, the Q-U-O-R-N. It's a fungus, actually. Those are, those are pretty yummy, too. So there's a lot of options. You can either just eliminate it from your diet or you can add these alternatives to your meals instead. And then you can make all of your favorite meals just with the alternative option. If you can't eat meat, I highly recommend you eat the most sustainable options. The best is local meat that is grass-fed and grass-finished. Or with animals like chickens, you'll see pasture-raised. I don't think they use grass-fed, grass-finished because that doesn't really apply to a chicken diet. These are animals that live out their entire lives on these local farms. They actually go outside. They forage for their food. And this meat is way better for you, too. Since the prices of meat are increasing because of COVID, now is a time to just spend a little bit more and get some really high-quality meat. A lot of Toxins that are found in the environment accumulate in animals. So for farm animals, this might be things like pesticides. And in the fattier meats, this is where those toxins accumulate. So if you're eating conventional pork, food that's really fatty, it's it's not really that great for you because all that fat contains uh, a heavy toxin load. Go local. Go with animals that have better lives on pastures. And then finally, I just want to say a word about hunting, which is kind of weird because I grew up like totally against hunting. But looking at all of the options out there for meat, hunting really is the best. It's the most compatible with wildlife. It's obviously free-ranged, humanely raised. And as a kid, and even still today, I don't love the idea of killing animals. I don't know. It still bothers me with hunting, and I don't think I could do it, even though I have eaten meat recently. But it really is way better. I would much, 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 much (laughs) I said much a lot. I would much rather have people eat, hunt for their own meat rather than do a factory farmed meat. I would much, much rather have that. 
So those are my suggestions. I really hope you take this to heart. I hope that you really think about reducing the amount of meat in your diet. Go for quality over quantity. And let me know how you're doing with it. What are your strategies? What are your favorite meals? What are your favorite recipes? I have a Pinterest page and I have a lot of vegan meals on there. I am gluten-free too, so I have those on there. Uh, Go check it out, Fancy Scientist at Pinterest, and share with me your favorite vegan vegetarian recipes. Thanks so much, guys. If you have any questions or comments just feel free to reach out to me on social media at the fancy scientist bye